Hello and welcome to a new edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar Show. I'm Richard Lander and I'm here with co-host Angus Foote and our fund manager rating analysts Frank Talbot and Nisha Long. Uh, we're still all operating remotely. If you could see the video of this, you'd see us all in our different locations. But hopefully soon we can do this around the table all together in the CityWire studios. Maybe go out for lunch afterwards, who knows. Uh, everybody well in their respective homes? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Good. That case, uh, we'll get going to uh, very different sectors for you this week. Uh, Frank will be talking about European value. Uh, equities uh, in a little while and value is obviously the new game in town it has been for the last I don't know three months I guess uh, since growth started being uh, just to guess a little toppy uh, and Nisha uh, about as different as you can get is going to take us through the biotech sector which I guess would have got a uh, boost of interest over the last year from everything that's been done to protect us in in the vaccine world but obviously it goes a lot further than that doesn't it Oh, it does. Yes. Um, but I will look at one year on um, since the um, pandemic started, COVID-19 pandemic started. So this time last year, there was the rush um, to produce a vaccine for COVID-19. And um, shares of some of these biotech and healthcare companies really soared on the hope of finding a vaccine. And now we do have the vaccine rollout of, from many companies, and it has taken the stocks higher. So you're talking about like Pfizer, AstraZeneca and Moderna, uh, which is actually one of the most watched stocks in the market and it has been for over the past year. Um, it's uh, announced favourable earnings, um, but there was a bit of a blip last week uh, in their share price. But that was because of um, investors worrying about the ramifications of the efforts of the Fed government actually um, regarding the vaccine and its support over patent protection waivers you know of these um, vaccines and I can see why as well because you know there needs to be a rollout for, in countries such as India and South Africa and if there's a pattern behind these you know it's, it's harder for those countries to you know produce these vaccines where is at the moment is needed uh, most but sticking on Moderna the revenue stored um, 1.94 billion dollars in the first quarter of this year if you roll back last year you know the first quarter last year it was only up eight million so it's gone from millions to billions it's um yeah it's quite huge and obviously it will keep going on they have massive orders coming in you know for the vaccine and other um products that they do have and the next one the quick one is oxford nanopore you know, it's IPOing soon, plans to float on the London Stock Exchange, and it's expected to be one of the largest debuts of the year. So that's another biotech company um, which tracks um, their technology, tracks COVID-19 variants. And that could reach a valuation of maybe four to seven billion pounds, that analysts are saying, so when it goes public. So that will also be you know, up for grabs um, by quite a few fund managers, I guess. So a lot has happened over the last year and it's still happening. It's a hot sector at the moment. Um, so swiftly moving on to CityWise equity biotechnology sector, you know, where there are some investment ideas here. Um, so we track 42 funds in the sector. It's still a small sector, 36 managers, but eight of those are rated, CityWise rated managers. Um, so the first one I wanted to mention is um, David Pinniger. Um, so AA rated manager, manager of the Polar Capital Biotech Fund. Um, it's quite a large fund, 1.1 billion pounds in AUM, around 51 holdings. And David Pinnaker is the lead fund manager of this fund. Now, I just want to, this is a bit, 
um, strange that I'm going to mention this, but he does have a BA in human sciences. Now, the other managers of the fund, so Deanne Donegan, um, she's a doctor of pharmacy and a licensed pharmacist and also one of the fund managers. Daniel Mahoney, um, he has a PhD in developmental um, biology and James Douglas, who has a PhD in medicinal, medic, uh, medicinal chemistry. Um, so you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, they all have the expertise in biological, uh, chemical, or, you know, As medicine. do you, don't you, Nisha? Don't be shy. Uh, What's your PhD? Yeah, well, that's chemical engineering, so oh, not, on the, not, on the biological, not on the biological side. So I'm, not, I'm sure they wouldn't want me there. Um, but, yeah, so they've got their financial repertoire, but also, you know, this background in biotech. It's a very niche sector. Um, but I just thought, you know, with all those managers having that kind of background with their financial degrees and being CF, you know, chartered um, financial analysts as well, it, it's, yeah, quite um, interesting to see that. Um, but the top 10, as I mentioned, you know, well, AstraZeneca, um, they have Vertex Pharmaceuticals, um, Biogen also in there. All these companies have done well over the past year. 55% um, is in US companies and 8% in the UK. Now, these two countries are both the hotspots for biotech companies. That's where you're going to find the majority of them. And you can see why the allocations are you know, in those um, countries. But yeah, they're ones to watch. They have done well and continue to do well. They have a very good long-term track record, not just over the past year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But yeah, they've done great. But and, uh, I, I mean... That's what I would look at first as the professional qualifications of these people. Because, I mean, you did have Neil Woodford, uh, probably won't be bringing his name up very often in the future on this uh, podcast. But, uh, you know, he didn't have the expertise. He made some pretty daft uh, uh, investments in local biotech companies to, to where he operated from. And it yeah, all went wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the only one he, well, I shouldn't really say the only one, but he did have a stake in Oxford um Nanopore, which you know is IPOing, so he would have done well out of that one, but obviously that was sold off. And um, yeah, but yeah, I think background in some of these niche sectors really, really does help. And that's the same with our second manager. I wanted to mention Peter Persh, another AA rated manager, Alliance Biotechnology Fund. Um, so his background, actually, so his background, BA in economics, but he does have an MBA with a certificate in health sector management. So it's still along, you know, the same kind of lines there. But um, one of his top holdings was Gilead Sciences and is Gilead Sciences. So just after eight months of the first case of COVID-19, so Gilead Sciences, you know, received US FDA approval for um, remdesivir um, drugs, so the antiviral treatment. So on the back of that, you know, the stock soared. And Peter Persh also holds Moderna, Biogen, AstraZeneca, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. And so it's all those companies that we've heard a lot about, you know, over the past year. And as I mentioned before, um, I think background really counts for these fund managers in this sector, in healthcare and biotech. Angus, you're, I mean, this is tricky territory for fund selectors, isn't it? It is tricky territory. I, I think the, um, the, one of the things that makes it tricky territory is, is the idea of themes and narratives, isn't it? Because but we did a roundtable a couple of weeks ago with some global CIOs from asset managers. Pascal Blanque from Amundi was saying that one of the things that excited him was new narratives emerging in the market. And, you know, everybody likes a story, don't they? But I think the, the idea of themes running through investment uh, is something that's really fashionable at the moment. 
and biotech is a big theme and obviously all the things that Nish has talked about uh, make biotech stocks attractive to investors and hence mainstream funds are more likely to have a, have a heavy weighting in biotech which it, to some extent takes away the argument for having a biotech fund in your portfolio if you've got a bunch of other funds that actually have a heavy weight into biotech. But actually, I suppose to an extent, Nisha has answered the question that I was going to ask because the edge they have, by the sound of it, is that manager specialism, that kind of professional training that actually somebody who runs a global equity fund and decides to put a lot of money into biotech firms, to your point, Richard, you know, Neil Woodford with his UK income fund, they just don't have. You know, you you talked a lot about the giant companies out there, Nisha. Uh, there's also a lot of specialist small biotech firms. Are they uh, are they better suited to venture capital investors? Do you think rather than? Yeah. So I mean, it is as I say, it's going to be risky in any of these small companies. It does matter if they have a viable product that they can take to market. You know, and it works because it is test. But at the end of the day, humans, you know, testing and making sure that there's the drugs out there and all that. So um, it's stringent. There's a lot of regulation behind it. I think that's where some of them do fall down because of the regulation. It costs a lot of money to get through those regulations as well. So it's not just some of the small players in this area might not survive because of that as well, unless they've got the funding continuously coming in. They might have a fantastic idea, but if they can't bring it to market, you know, it's it can, you know. Game make over. Up, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. cool. Okay, thank you very much, Nisha. Uh, Frank, two ideas that were out of favour for such a long time, Europe and value. So, But all of a sudden, we've got the uh, interest and the spotlight turning back on them. Yeah, absolutely. Before I start there, I've got a confession to make. You asked how I was at the top and I said I was fine and that's a lie. I'm pretty man down today. So if I sound uh, pathetic, that's not just who I am or rather more pathetic than normal. That's just because I'm not feeling particularly hot. But yeah, unless you've been hiding under the proverbial rock for the past six months, you'll know that after a 10 year hiatus, the value is back. Uh, it certainly appears to be more than just a re-rating of areas that were hammered when the crisis started. Much of this outperformance uh, of value stocks is being driven by you know the reopening of economies, the assumption that inflation is going to come back after years of absence, along with the sort of general cooling on more speculative stocks and countries around the world. So over the next few podcasts, I'm going to explore some of the value sectors that we track managers in. Uh, given how well these areas have done, you might have the feeling that you've already missed the boat on this. But the change in investor sentiment could be much more than just a six month fling. And I'm going to start with uh, Equity Europe Value. These are pan-European funds with a value bias. Uh, the thing to know about all these dedicated value funds is that if you were really sticking to your knitting and being a true value disciple then the chances of you outperforming before the vaccines were announced were pretty much slim to none. So don't expect me to be flagging up AAA-rated managers across the board because our rating system looks at three-year period, not just six months. Nevertheless, you've had such a profound shift that managers who've been in the doldrums for a long time are really coming back with uh, a vengeance. Um, the first fund is the uh, Mundi Fund's European Equity Value. It's run by... A-rated Andreas Wussel and Robert 
Campani. Uh, the fund has been taking in an extraordinary amount of cash. It's a 3.2 billion strategy, but it's taken in new money this year, in the first four months of the year to the end of April, to the tune of 1.6 billion euros. So that's a mere 1.3 billion ahead of its closest competitor in terms of inflows within the peer group. That's on the back of a 49% gain over the past six months uh, in terms of uh, returns to its investors. So all this means the wind is really in their sails. It's an interesting portfolio. It's one of those that doesn't like to have one or two really dominant positions going for a more even spread. So that sort of makes sense in value. You want to avoid the traps. So you don't want to you know, put 10% in something that could potentially blow up. And uh, it's 40 stocks and none of those exceed 3% of the fund. So what's it investing in? Quite surprising for a value fund, it, it, it doesn't have an overweight of financials. It's 26% of the fund. That's broadly in line with what the index has. But its picks here have been good. Socgen is one of the large positions. It's up 130% since November. Certainly one to own in that space. BNP Paribas, the largest component of the European Financials Index, is another large is position. And that's that's doubled over that time, 96% since November. Slight overweight to energy. It's got Spain's Repsol, uh, which is another stock that's doubled in that time. It's got Britain's ITV, which I didn't realize was doing well, but that too has doubled uh, since November. Uh, the next fund I want to highlight is um, breaking with tradition a little bit because I'm actually going to flag up one that is not run by a rated manager, such as the slim pickings in these value peer groups. It's not so much that, but Coming back to my first point, if you were dedicated to value during the last three years, it hasn't been easy to outperform until recently. So you do want to look at individuals who haven't necessarily been doing well if you're going to pick a value fund. Um, it, it also helps highlight some of the turbocharged picks within the value space. And the fund is the JP Morgan Europe Strategic Value Fund. It's run by Michael Barakos, Ian Butler and Thomas Buckingham. Uh, in my defense to their lack of ratedness, Michael Barakos in particular has held many ratings over the years. He's a long-standing name within the industry. It's another fund that's obviously flying at the moment. It's up 49% again since the start of November. In terms of positioning, it's heavily overweight banks, 20% versus 14% in the index. It was quite active last year in terms of uh, rotation of the portfolio. Picked up HCBC, SOCGEN and Banco Santander in November. All great calls. I've already mentioned Socgen's gains, but Santander was up 116%. Uh, also bought Daimler, owners of Mercedes, in September. And these certainly weren't the only moves made by this fund uh, since the onset of the pandemic. And I think that's indicative of some of the value opportunities that were presented to these managers last year. And you saw great opportunities and great companies that were unduly sold off. And those that were brave enough to pick them up have done really well, and this was certainly one of those funds. Right. This might be splitting hairs and semantics, but are some of these companies they invest in just growth companies that are beaten, have been beaten to a pulp because of the pandemic, or are they really value companies? Maybe there's no that, difference. Huh? That, that, that is a good question, but when they're that heavily sold off, they become value by default, don't they? I mean, a lot of them, though, the, the companies I've mentioned... You know, then they're not speculative. They've got great revenue streams, good cash flows. It, it's they, you know, they're they're safe companies from that perspective. You know, maybe not sort of Daimler or whatever, you know, given the, the the effect it had on the auto industry. But yeah, there were a lot more opportunities being presented. So it is, it's a good 
philosophical question. Um, it's uh, both growth and value together, which maybe doesn't exist. <laughs> you mentioned, Frank, one of the funds you mentioned there, you said, I think you said had 40 holdings. What do you think of the argument that uh, a concentrated portfolio in value stocks is, is really quite a risky place to be? I mean, yeah, I, t I touched on that uh, in what I was saying. I think if, if you have got a massive 10% stake in a company that could potentially just be a value trap, then that is obviously a huge risk. So if they're beaten up, they might well be beaten up for a good, for good reason. And uh, you, you probably do want to stay clear of really hedging um, or putting, betting the farm on it, as it were. Mm. Whenever I hear this argument about value versus growth, uh, it, it always makes me think that actually this is why you need a professional to choose your funds for you. Because if you just pick the best performers in any asset class, you could end up with a portfolio that was heavy value managers or heavy growth value managers because that style happened to be in vogue. And of course, then when, when the reverse is true, you've got something that really doesn't look very good at all. So that's really just an affirmation to me of the, you know, the need for people that are going to construct portfolios for us. Yep, I think I think Frank's probably. Are you really sick, Frank? I mean, you're just what? Yeah, I'm really, though. I'm really, I'm really not get great. I was, uh, I was on mute and I was coughing at the time. Sorry, I would have come back and, and completely agreed with everything Angus had just said. <laughs> I think we'll, I think we'll let you off. We'll give you a hospital pass on that, Frank. And and uh, oh, there we go. You don't want to see this video. He's blowing his nose and looks looks awful. So we'll give it up there. Uh, thanks for struggling through, Frank, through uh, through the pain, taking one for the t for the team. Uh, thank you, Nisha and Angus, for joining us again today. And we look forward to you all coming back and joining us in another couple of weeks. So goodbye from us all. 